You're listening to a River Life Fellowship message. We hope this message encourages you and enriches your life. For more information about us, visit us at riverlifefellowship.com. Well, you guys having fun this morning? <laughs> I am. And uh, I just want to pray. God, I just um, thank you so much for all the good stuff that you've done in Argentina and here, Lord. And um, God, I just continue to just have a grateful heart for your goodness in our lives and for this church, Lord. God, we just thank you for all that you've done with us and through us and in us. And God, this morning, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that this message, Lord, would come through with clarity and um, conviction, Lord, and Father, that it would even change the way that we see You and the way that we see our circumstances and the way, that, the way that we see ourselves. Lord, we just trust You to speak. In Jesus' name, Amen. This service is sponsored by Bojank. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, like the car drivers, they win the race. <laughs> is Eric Newman here? <laughs> he was in Argentina with us. He was. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about this message that is a very simple thing, yet I believe very profound, as the things of God tend to be a lot of times. And um, I feel like the Lord just gave me some stuff on it, so I thought I'd give it a shot. And um, I guess the title of the message is a question, and the question is a very simple question, and it's just that is, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple with a capital D, I guess? Now, when you hear the word disciple, what comes, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? The twelve disciples. Anybody else? Maybe discipline, okay? Some people might think of like a follower. Um, if you're an older teenager and you remember Ronnie probably knows you might think of a, a Christian hard rock band. <laughs> you know, that might be the first thing that pops into your mind when you hear the word disciple. But um, for most of us, that's not the case. Um, <laughs> I was recently reading a very good article by Charles Stanley, as everybody is probably familiar with if you've been around on Sunday morning flipping through TV preachers. And um, so I have some quotes in here from this article that he wrote. And this is the first one. All disciples of Jesus Christ are believers, but not all believers are disciples. Too often, churches are long on membership but short on discipleship. They stress numbers but place nowhere enough emphasis on spiritual growth. And yet, if a church is trying to follow the New Testament model, it should be discipling God's people. It's not enough simply to believe in Jesus Christ or even to be content with learning about Him. We are also to be disciple makers. It's not enough just to believe. It's not enough to learn everything about it. We're supposed to be making disciple of ourselves as we follow Jesus Christ. Making disciples of Christ as we follow Him. That was Paul's recommendation. Follow me as I follow Christ, right? I was thinking, you know, Jesus had many followers, but only a few disciples. 
Jesus had many followers, but only a few disciples. Now, which one of those are you? Are you a follower only? Or are you a disciple? You see, if you read the New Testament, Jesus grew gigantic crowds. He had the big crusades, the all-you-can-eat fish fries. I mean, He was the man, you know? People just flocked to Him. And like those of you experienced in Argentina of having turned people away from your healing clinics and all this stuff, Jesus had so many people around Him, He literally tried to shoo people away, you know? And usually, if you look at what He did, He did that by challenging people to the very core of their being until they would either break and surrender or they would turn around and run the other way no matter what kind of miracles they saw. Now I was thinking, would I or would you be willing to give up the most important thing in the world? Just think of what the most important thing in the world is to you right now. could be your child, your car, <laughs> you know, your, your whatever. Would you be willing right now if Jesus were to come to you and say, Give it up. Would you be willing to just simply, without question, say, Yes, Lord, here it is, and walk away and follow after Him? Would you be willing to sacrifice your Isaac, so to speak, drawn from the Old Testament illustration of Abraham and his only son in his old age? Matthew seven twenty one through 23 says very clearly, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Jesus says, then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, what's the difference between this person who's driving out demons and this person over here who's doing miracles? When Jesus comes to this person on Judgment Day and says, Sorry, I never knew you. He's doing all kinds of great stuff. But He comes to this person and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into My rest. What's the difference? The difference is this person's a follower. Knows lots of good information. He even knows how to pray for people to cast out demons. Okay, think about that for a second. He even knows, you know, he knows everything about God, yet this person over here is a disciple. This person has walked with Jesus. This person has walked hand in hand through life and has seen him do all kinds of amazing things. See, here's the point it's not the stuff that you do for Christ. It's not the things that you're able to accomplish in life that make you a disciple. It's only your relationship with the Lord Himself. I think the, very, the Bible clearly teaches that. It's kind of a challenging thought. Now, I have a few questions to consider here as I go through. There's three questions. Number one, what does it mean to be a disciple? Okay. Number two, Am I a disciple? Ask yourself these questions. And number three, am I teaching others to be a disciple? Okay? So, let's look at the first one. 
What does it mean to be a disciple? Um, what does it mean to be a disciple? Here's what Easton's Bible Dictionary, here's how it defines disciple. One who, number one, believes his doctrine. Number two, rests on his sacrifice. Number three, imbibes his spirit. Number four, imitates his example. Again, believes his doctrine, rests on his sacrifice, imbibes his spirit, imitates his example. Again, Charles Stanley says, a disciple, disciples are people who have received Jesus Christ as Savior. It doesn't stop there. Yielded to Him as Lord and appropriated His Word as the guide for their life. In the Greek, disciple literally means learner. Okay? Learner. Learning from Christ. I also thought of that as maybe as a student. However, it has to be a particular type of student. Because in my history class, I instruct students that it's not enough to just be a learner. Okay, that doesn't cut it. That doesn't make you a pupil, I guess you would say. Um, I emphasize that we're not here just to learn facts, dates, and the names of old dead people. But our purpose is to understand the past so that we can use that knowledge to change the future. Will somebody please tell our politicians that? Learn from the past. You know, everybody knows that thing about history so that we're not doomed to repeat it. Okay? When we learn that lesson, then I think our nation will be much better off. But you see... History class is not just for these facts and dates. It's so you can understand things so that you can go out into your world or in your personal life and make changes, listen to what God's telling you to do, all these sorts of things. And it's the same way when you're a disciple of Christ. We're not just here to learn about a bunch of information. We're not just here to gain a lot of, of worldly wisdom and, and understanding and get knowledge and all of these things. You see, my concern is I think that churches in America are full of people who are looking for information that will give them a better marriage. Who are looking for information to help them with their teenagers. Who are looking for information so that they can be successful in business. Now all that's good stuff. All of it's important, yes. But is that the primary purpose that the church exists? No, it's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose is to guide people in their relationships with Jesus Himself. I know we've always felt as a church, and I can say this for Byron in his absence, that our primary purpose is to get people to the feet of the cross. To get people to Jesus so that Jesus can heal them. So that Jesus can take care of them. So that Jesus can provide their needs. So that Jesus can do all these things that we can't do. Because we're just people. Imperfect people that make a lot of mistakes. And people get offended at and all of these sorts of things. Again, James 2.19 says, You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. That was always a popular scripture of mine witnessing to people on a college campus. 
Well, I believe in God. Yes, I believe there's a higher power. Well, that's fantastic. Did you know that even demons believe that? Just believing in God is just not enough. I'm sorry. You know? So the second question that we have to ask ourselves is, am I a disciple? Ask yourself that question. And in the New American Standard Bible, you know how they have these uh, little subheadings, subtitles? Which, by the way, is not the inspired Word of God. Those little subtitles are not in the original manuscripts. Okay, so don't let those mess you up. However, they're somewhat helpful as you go on and read Scripture to know what the context is. And this particular one in the New American Standard says, Discipleship Tested. Okay, so take the discipleship test and see if you are one. Alright, if you will. Just kind of check it off for yourself as we go through this. Alright? And the, the passage is Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. If you want to look this up in your own Bible, go right ahead. I've put it up here for the rest of you. If you don't have yours, personally, I always like to look it up because i got to have it in my own Bible, you know. Um, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. There you go, large crowds. Remember, I mentioned that. And turning to them, He said... Now picture this, okay? This, to me, this is just beyond comprehension. All these large crowds are coming around, okay? Picture like a Billy Graham crusade or something. Just like massive amounts of crowds. And here's what Jesus turns to them and says... If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. How many altar calls have you been to, have you heard where all of a sudden it comes, the music is being played, it's alright, and the pastor gets up and says, now if you want to give your life to Jesus, Go tell your family you hate them. If you really want to follow Jesus, go grab an electric chair and carry it around. Because you're going to need it. <laughs> Is that the Gospel that's being preached? Maybe sometimes, but personally I haven't ever heard that one. Now, Jesus is giving a very um, graphic illustration here to represent that Jesus Himself must be the most important thing in your life. That if He's not number one, that if any of these things, if family members or anything else for that matter, stands in the way of your relationship with Christ, then you need to be willing to lay that thing down and turn and follow Him. Let's read on. Verse 28, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first down and... I'm sorry, will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not even able to finish it. Now, Sarah and I have a very personal example of this because we recently sold our house to Heather and Aaron and um, which was awesome, and I know they're blessed by it. Aaron's shaking his head. So that leaves us homeless because we have some land on which to build a house. 
However, land on which to build a house is a lot different from house on the land in order to move into. So, we're in the process of trying to figure out what house we can build on this piece of property. And it's an excruciating process of going through and, okay, trying to figure out what this will cost and this will cost and getting all the estimates together and then taking that to the bank and all these things because this little seed of fear begins to creep into my heart. That house that you have picked out is too expensive. (laughs) Get behind me, Satan! (laughs) I don't know exactly how to pray in that situation. So, um... When I read this Scripture, I was just kind of blown away by by it because what Jesus is saying is there's a cost involved into being a disciple. And before you raise your hand, I want to give my life to Jesus. Count the cost. Because it will cost you dearly. In fact, how much will it cost you? There you go. It will cost you everything. Verse 31 or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king, will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation with the, when, while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. This verse is kind of interesting given that we're at war and been involved in all this conflict and everything. I'm sure the... I'm, well, I can't speak for the President, but I would say that he probably really considered the cost of us going to war. But I wonder if Americans considered the cost. Even some of us who may have been, yeah... Let's, you know, let's do it. Let's get Saddam Hussein out of there. Well, now the body count is over 900 of our brothers and sons and husbands and daughters and mothers and all this. You know, have we really counted the costs? Because, you know, our enemy is fanatical. You know, they're willing to blow themselves up, as we've seen on September 11th. You know, are we willing to pay the price that it's going to take to do whatever we need to do. Thank God that our World War II generation was and uh, the Lord helped them. So, I mean, I'm not making any statements about what's going on. I'm just saying that there's a cost involved in what we're doing. It's not going to be easy, in other words. I don't care what kind of smart bomb you have. You know, It's not going to be easy. And so Jesus says here, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything. Doesn't just say like, you know, okay, any of you who does not give up smoking cigarettes, you know, Marilyn Manson's music, you know, on and on and on, all of these bad things, then you can't be my disciple. No, it doesn't say that. It says everything. Everything. That means all, it means everything. <laughs> I mean, I can't emphasize that enough because so often... Christians, it's not everything. It's not everything. Verse 34, salt is good. But if, just ask Marlon. Marlon's a big salt guy. Aren't you? 
Or am I got? Yeah, it's you. I mean, like you know, salty potato chips, more salt. You know what I'm saying? Like just anything, as much salt as he can get his hands on. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. And then the final phrase here, if you hit that button again, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I love that part. I think that's the most profound statement of this entire passage. You see, because thousands of people were sitting there listening to Jesus that day, but they really didn't hear what He was saying. They heard it physically, but they didn't hear it with the the ears of their heart. You see, and so they turned and and they, they misinterpreted it, or they decided it meant something else, or they rejected it altogether. The parable of the sower would probably be a good thing to illustration to use there. So I say to us today, he who has ears, let him hear. Hear what the Spirit of God is saying in your heart right now. Listen. Pay attention. Heed that voice. It will do you good. Because the big deception of the enemy is, oh, so God wants you to give up everything, huh? Well, God knows that if you give up everything, then He's got you. You know, He's really deprived you. Your life will be miserable. If you're a teenager, you will not be popular. If you're an older person, you will not have all the stuff that you're supposed to have at that age. You remember the lie in the garden, right? It's the same lie. But the deception is is that when you give up everything, you gain so much more. Isn't that the truth? When you give up that friend who is leading you astray, you gain ten friends that will bring life to you. Please hear what I'm saying. When you give up that house that God told you to get rid of, He gives you a mansion in glory that is beyond destruction. Okay, there's so many things. What I'm saying is some of these things you may not see in this life, but with the eyes of faith... We know that it's very real. So other things God will let you see. Amen? So, in other words, again, being a disciple will cost you. What will it cost? It will cost you everything. Your life. Just ask the rich young ruler. You remember him? He comes to Jesus. He says, I want to follow you. I've kept the law. I've kept the commandments. kept the Ten Commandments. Blah, 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 blah. And Jesus says, you lack one thing. And he goes, well, what's that, Jesus? See, this guy was very rich. And Jesus says, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Then you can be my disciple. The Bible says he was disappointed. Man, I thought I could do this. There's no way, Jesus. And he just walks the other way. Does that mean God's asking you to to sell everything you have? Probably not, but if you put everything you have above Him, He may be asking you to do that. That's the point that Jesus is making to this guy. Whatever. Even if it's your own child. If it's above God, then you need to get your priorities in line. I'm not saying put your child on the street. I'm saying you need to get your priorities in order and put Him first. Matthew 5.13 You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, 
how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. That's the same as verse 36 back there. We're the salt of the earth. Okay? But if we're just a follower and we're not a disciple, then our lives and our testimonies are really not doing the kingdom of God a bit of good. I think that's what the Lord's saying here. You might say, I'm a disciple because I've been in this church every Sunday for the past year. I'm a disciple. You may have heard this quoted before, but being in church doesn't make you a disciple any more than being in Starbucks makes you a Frappuccino. It just doesn't cut it. I don't care. We could fill every pew and every chair and every church in America. But if people don't have a relationship with Christ, a genuine relationship, it won't do a bit of good. Other than to boost the pastor's pride. Man, I've got 2,000 members in my church. Woo! I mean, we got money. We're building buildings. We got the children's ministry and the youth ministry. And we got, you know, we got ministry to the homeless and the sick and the da 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 da. 1 Corinthians 13. If you have not love, it means nothing. It's a resounding symbol. It's a big clanging mess. <laughs> Whatever that says. Isn't that the truth? If we have not love for God and love for others, that's the number one commandment, right? That's what Jesus said, the greatest commandment. Then it all means nothing. Again, Charles Stanley, all disciples of Jesus Christ are believers. But not all believers are disciples. See, Dr. Stanley went on to say in this article that he feels like one of the big tragedies and mistakes of the church and all these crusades and all the evangelism that's gone on around the world is it has been focused on making believers. Well, see guys, that's just step number one is believers. It starts with you believing in your heart. That's what Romans 10.9 says. You confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart, then you are saved. But does it stop there? Is that where Jesus stopped? If it was, He would have taken those big crowds that were following Him and just said, okay guys, if you, if you want to believe in Me, raise your hand. And everybody would raise their hand and say, bless God, you're going to heaven, I'll see you in paradise. That's not what Jesus said to people. You know, so like Byron said, we need to get back to what Jesus did. What did Jesus say to people? Alright, number three. Am I teaching others to be a disciple. This is a big thing, I believe, right now. It's not enough... Well, before I get to that quote, let me just say, I believe that one of the biggest mistakes that the church has made and is making in preaching the Gospel is its presentation of what a Christian is. Again, it's not just enough to believe. You must believe and yield to His control. Again, Dr. Stanley, it's not enough simply to believe in Jesus Christ or even to be content with learning about Him. We are also to be, what? Disciple makers. Not only are we supposed to be disciples ourselves, but we're to make disciples of other people. Okay, well, how do we do that? Well, that's a whole other sermon. But let me just give you some glimpses here. Matthew 28, 18-20. Very familiar passage, the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We did that last Sunday with Kara. She got baptized. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now let's look at this. Jesus said that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Right? No. He said all authority has been given to me. He was talking about himself. Isn't that right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And on and on and on. So he told us to go make disciples, but he has the authority. Okay? Then he said, now teaching them to obey everything. And then, surely I'm with you always. In Luke 9.13, this is where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Okay, you remember that? And He turns to the disciples who are like, Lord, you've got to send these folks away. Man, they're hungry. They're tired. They've got to go find a Bojangles. They've got to get a place in the Comfort Inn. Okay, and Jesus is like, guys, listen. Haven't you learned this by now? You give them something to eat. They're like, all right, you know, blah, blah. And, and you know the story, gather the fish and the loaves and Jesus multiplies it and it says that He gave them, the disciples, the food and they set it before the people and they all ate and were satisfied. Now, did you see what happened here? Jesus said, you give them something to eat, but the disciples weren't the ones that multiplied the bread and the fish. You see the difference? He gave, they set the stuff in front of the people and then Jesus made it multiply. So Jesus did it. You see, not the disciples. The disciples were just obeying Him. They were just doing what, what the Master told them to do. And see, that's what the difference is in disciple making is it's not you. Jesus just asked that you would make yourself available, step out there, and give people something to eat. But when you step out there to give them a piece of food or whatever, so to speak, Jesus is going to be the one feeding them. You see what I'm saying? And so that's the exciting part. When, when you meet with somebody one-on-one, maybe who just accepted Christ or something, and you're like, man, you know, I don't know what to say to this person. I don't know how to pray for them. they got all these problems. they got all these issues. Blah, 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 blah. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is just to get together with them, talk with them, and then when you open your mouth, Jesus is going to feed them. You see? Jesus is going to give you the words to say and the prayers to pray. Jesus commanded you to teach people, but not on your own. If you will make yourself available, Jesus will teach or disciple people through you. Now, finally, how can I practically do this? Alright, look at the person next to you. Say, how you doing? Find someone. It's very, this is a very simple concept. It may or may not be the person next to you. If it's your husband or your wife, it definitely might not be. The, no, <laughs> no, it definitely is if it's your husband or your wife or your child. Find someone next to you or around you or in your church, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, so on and so forth, and give away what the Lord has given you. That's all discipleship is. Give away what the Lord has given you. How many people have ever gotten a revelation from God from Scripture? Raise your hand. 
Okay, everybody has gotten some sort of revelation. However, it could be John 3.16, which is probably the most profound revelation. Or it could be some like, you know, you've got to study the Bible for ten years and you figure this out thing. Whatever it is, give it away. It's not yours to keep. God never intended it to be that way. He wants us to make disciples, and that's what that is. It's just give it to them. Say, listen, this is going to help you. Let me tell you what, this is exciting. Let me tell you this. You know that, that uh, music that you're hanging on to? Well, if you'll just give it away, if you'll let it go, because it's really putting bad stuff in you, then God is going to do a new thing in your life. Well, were you just trying to say that, uh, like, it's not, I mean, you're just trying to be legalistic? No, I'm just saying that I've experienced this in my life, okay? I've had to do this. I was into this, blah, 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 blah. And God said, you know what? It's not good for you. Just give it to me. I said, okay, Lord. Maybe not that easy, but I eventually said, okay, Lord. And I gave it to Him. And all of a sudden, I began to get new revelation on things. I, I experienced different types of music that was good for me. All these things. That's just a, a little example. But everybody gets the point. I had a conversation recently with a friend of mine, and he was explaining to me that um, at one point, God confronted him, kind of up in his face. You know, God's good at that. God got up in his face and uh, basically showed him that there was a particular artist in music, okay, that he really liked, that the Lord wanted him to get rid of. And the reason he wanted to get rid of him is because there was a situation where him listening to this music was kind of bringing things between what the Lord wanted him to do in ministry and some relationships and all that kind of thing. So, reluctantly, he said, Okay, Lord, it's either this artist or my relationship with these people and my ministry to these people. And so he's like, mm, Okay not that big a deal. <laughs> just chunk this one out. And when he was telling me this, it just amazed me. Because I saw what the Lord had done in his life from that point. And this was like a few months ago. And it was just remarkable. And it seems like a seemingly simple thing, yet that one act of obedience opened the door in this person's life for an incredible amount that God had for him. An incredible realm of influence. Okay, so that's just an, another simple example of what I'm talking about here. Finally, in conclusion, the Lord has called the church to reproduce itself, to make disciples. Therefore, our church must have as its primary purpose discipleship. How do we do this? One person at a time. That's where it starts. It starts with you. It starts with me. Now, I mean, I'm encouraged, okay? Because many, many people in this fellowship are doing what I'm talking about. I mean, a lot of people, okay? So, be encouraged. A lot of people are doing this. Janet Moore has this school where she's discipling teenagers, okay? Marlon Magusu, he's doing the same thing at school and he's discipling some young people in, at his home and uh, meeting with people one-on-one. -on -one. Um, Sue Crowley, she's doing a lot of this stuff. I mean, just amazing the stuff I've seen Sue doing with people and just caring for people and giving to them whatever way she can. Um, 
Mary Stephan was telling me last night how she had been spending her summer going to uh, hospital beds of her friends and people in the nursing homes. And, and, and she had been spending all of basically a lot of her hours outside of work doing all these things, discipling people. That's what it's all about. And so, I mean, please don't be offended if I didn't mention your name here in this list because I'm just giving some examples. A lot, a lot of people are doing all this. Donna, yes, Donna Kohler back there. <laughs> She's got a billion bags on my life. <laughs> um, actually, she has. But um, So, you know, a lot of people are doing this stuff. And that's awesome. So I'm just saying, let's go for it, man. Let's take it to the next level. Um, my, this final quote from Charles Stanley. For the Christian, I love this, success is not simply the avoidance of sin. It is a life so yielded to God that it makes an eternal difference to another person. Isn't that great? So I guess... My challenge to us this morning is let's make disciples intentionally. Disciples don't happen on accident. They are made on purpose. Okay, so pray. Consider who it is that the Lord has for you to give something to. Because you have to do it if the body of Christ is going to be healthy, if it's going to grow, if it's going to be fruitful. So let's go for it because it's going to be awesome. And here's the thing that the Lord showed me about discipleship. Excuse me. I've seen us as a church ride waves of the Spirit. Okay, the Lord's really moving, the Holy Spirit's doing a lot of cool stuff, and we're like, you know, we're up here on cloud nine. Okay, then if you've been around for a while, you know that doesn't last forever. And it's a wave because it has a trough as well as a peak. Okay, so then we're down here and. Quite honestly, everything's difficult. <laughs> you know, everybody, people are mad at each other and all this is happening. And it's like, man, gosh, nothing's going on around here. And I felt like the Lord was showing me that one of the reasons could be, okay, just to submit this to you, that maybe we put too much emphasis on all of these high experiences. Not that those aren't important. But the Lord has given us those times to boost us, to encourage us. Whereas our primary focus, our primary purpose should really be on discipleship. On reproducing ourselves as we follow Christ. And that, see the thing I saw about discipleship is it never gets old. You know what I'm saying? It never gets boring. Like seeing yourself reproduce as you follow Christ is never, it doesn't ever lose something. You understand what I'm saying? I don't know if I'm communicating that right. But it, it always has life on it doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. But I think if we'll really focus on those things and then just bless God and persevere through the ups and the down times, I think it could really help a lot of us in some of those struggles. And not just as a church, but, you know, in our lives, period. And um, I'll tell you, I was talking with Becky recently and she was just talking about how she has been meeting one-on-one with this new Christian and just pouring into her. They've been going through this just Bob Weiner Foundations Bible, you know, Christianity 101. You know, salvation, baptism, the Holy Spirit. And Be- I've never seen Becky so excited. I mean, I've seen her lead worship and the Holy Spirit was moving, you know, you know, all this stuff's going on on Sunday mornings. 
But she is so encouraged right now. Because she's like, man, I'm telling you, it's just so exciting because I'm, I'm giving to this person. I'm just giving out of myself. And I've never, I've never experienced God flowing through me in this way. Okay, this is the basics. So, the challenge. If you are a disciple, will you make a commitment to the Lord to reproduce yourself? If you are not a disciple, do you want to be one? You heard what I said. It will cost you everything. As soon as you raise your hand or step forward to make that commitment, the Lord is going to come for something in your life. It's just the way it is. So, um, I guess if you want to be... I mean, if, if you're a disciple, okay, the first of those, and you want to make a commitment to the Lord to reproduce yourself, just stand up. Just stand up. If You know, if you don't, then... Don't stand up. And uh, if you're not a disciple, you can just step out of your seat and come up here. And uh, myself and some other people can just be here and we'll pray with you to make that commitment to the Lord. But uh, I thought the first thing that we could do is just pray and make this commitment before God. Because see, I, I think this is a serious thing. You know what I'm saying? And um, like I said, a lot of you guys have been doing this and a lot of you are probably standing up because you want to keep doing it. You want to take it to the next level. You want God to do more stuff through you. So, Lord, we're just here this morning um, just as poor beggars, Lord. We really, in and of ourselves, we, got, we don't have a lot to offer. Um, we don't know a whole lot, Lord, uh, compared to You. We're just beggars looking for a bite of food, Lord. And we want to lead other people to it, God. We want them the taste of the living bread, Lord God. We want them to drink from the fountain of living water, Lord Jesus. So God, we're just here saying, Lord, just do that in us. We just raise our hands to You, God, and we say, Here are our hands, Lord. We make them available to You, Lord. We ask You to put spiritual bread in them, Lord, that we can hand it out. Like free food to beggars on the street. Lord, we just say, Here you go, here you go, here you go, here you go, Lord. We just give it away, Lord. And we release anything that is hindering us from do doing that, Lord. We just lay it down right now. We release our own pride. We release fear. We, we release um, anything else, God, that would hinder us from being able to disciple and from giving away what You've given us. Lord, we just thank You and we praise You for doing that in a powerful way. Everybody said...